She won't let me help her tie her shoes No, daddy, I can do it myself When she don't get her way, she'll cross her arms and hold her breath Welcome back to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment Featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. And a heart that's full of hurt And the sense of just what she Joining me today on location at the second Lake Martin Songwriters Festival in Alabama, my guest is a Nashville-based singer, songwriter, guitar player who is signed to a publishing deal with Jonas Group Entertainment. She has written songs on four Grammy-nominated albums and has had her songs recorded by Miranda Lambert, Eric Church, Trisha Yearwood, Patti Loveless, Ashley McBride, Trent Tomlinson, Cody Johnson, and still even more. She also owns, hosts, and books Nashville's most popular writer's showcase, The Music Row Freak Show. Next month, she will head to Denmark to perform as part of the Nashville Knights International Songwriters Festival. You've been hearing a song she wrote called God Bless the Boy. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Terry Jo Box. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for making time to sit and talk with me today while we're both here in Alabama for this event. Yeah. Let's start off first by having you tell the audience all about the song that was just playing called God Bless the Boy, especially since I was talking over it and they couldn't hear the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot y'all were rolling that. Well, I wrote that song with Barrett Baber, who was uh, top eight on The Voice a few years ago, and Scott Sean White. Uh, Scott is from Texas as well and was one of my first co-writers in Nashville. And we have written hundreds and hundreds of songs together. He's brilliant. but And he's here for this festival. Um, so we went over to Barrett's house down in Franklin. And at the time, his little girl, Elliot, was about three, two or three years old. And he was laughing because she had pulled her dress up over her head like to take it off and got stuck and but she didn't want any help so she's screaming because she's stuck in her dress but she won't let them help her <laughs> and they keep trying to help her she says, i do it i do it and so barrett just threw his hands up and said god bless the boy you decide to love and then he was like, as he tells it, ooh, I'm about to write a country song. <laughs> so fortunately, he had me and Scott that day, and we sat down, and we got about a line away and had to leave. And then Scott and I and Barrett were on the phone finishing it on the drive back into town. And then we went on to, you know, the next 50 songs, and... I uh, text the boys one day and said, hey, guys, what about that God Bless the Boys song? We should demo that. That was really good. Mm. And so Barrett did a demo, and Barrett sings so great. And it kind of just went from there. Uh, Cody ended up, his buddy, Jesse Robb Jr., loved the song and played it for Cody on the bus. And Cody, he, he hit play, and Cody started crying because he has two little girls. And he said, turn it off, turn it off. I can't listen to this. i got to go on stage. And so he went, he played his show, and ironically, the show was in my hometown. They were in mm. Nacogdoches, Texas. I, I was not there, but Scott had gone down to the show, and 
So as soon as Cody got off stage, he got back on the bus and hit play to wow. listen to the rest of the song wow. and then uh, put it on this new record, Human. Mm. Uh, it's a double record. And yeah, so and did a fantastic job. Cody's such a great artist and entertainer and person. And so I was just really honored that he loved the song and cut it. What a cool story. Yeah. And it's not lost on me about how you said that he was actually playing a show in your hometown. I mean, that can't, that's not a coincidence. I right, mean, that's, yeah. there's some divine intervention right, going on exactly. there. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing I picked up on in there is this whole idea of look at what she's doing and throwing your hands up in the air. God bless the boy. And all of a sudden saying, I'm going to write that because I think that's a perfect example of how songwriters, y'all hear things very, very different <laughs> from people who are not, because there are people probably in everyday conversations who say something oh, yeah. that could be a For hook. Sure. And of course people miss it because you're a banker, you're a lawyer, you're an accountant, you're a supermarket cashier, and you're not thinking like a songwriter does. And y'all are listening to everything that everybody says. And you're going, wait a second, there's something there. Yes. And it's also, we were just talking about this last night. Um, we're around some people that are kind of on the edge of music but they aren't in the creative and kind of new to the business but anyway everything we said that and people do this everything we said that's a song you should write about that that's a song and we're like no it's not so that's a funny thing too is when people find out you're a songwriter then they think everything everybody says and should be a song. And I'll bet you similarly, you probably get approached by a lot of people that say, hey, I know you're a songwriter. I got a great idea for uh, you. Yeah. Yeah. Regularly, I'm yes. sure. Yes. Or can I send you lyrics? Or, and mm. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of legal ramifications to me to getting all this lyrics and, and things people send, that, the old social media message yeah, unsolicited. stuff. Yeah. Unsolicited. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And wow. so anyway. But it's funny how people don't. It, the, the music business is a weird animal. And to try to explain it to somebody is just, you know, we get the whole, have you sold any songs? And it's like, well, we don't exactly <laughs> sell them. But anyway. <laughs> Let me try to get these questions into some sort of proper order so that the flow makes logical sense. Let me do it this way. Bear with me. Let me first share with the audience that I am really grateful, again, to have Focusrite as a sponsor. This is seven weeks in a row now, and another opportunity to tell you about the Scarlet audio interface that they make, as I mentioned two weeks ago and even two weeks before that. In fact, I would be shocked if I were to ask all the songwriters at this festival here in Alabama if they were familiar with the Scarlet, and a number of them didn't end up telling me that they already own one. It's that popular of a unit. In fact, the Scarlet is the best-selling range of audio interfaces in the world with, mm, wow, more than 4.5 million sold to date. In fact, the Scarlet is what I was using as my audio interface for recording this podcast up until Focusrite launched and sent me the new Vocaster, which was specifically designed for podcasters. Scarlet is great for recording any type of audio, including podcasts but it has always been thought of as a music product. If you're doing recording yourself and don't have a Scarlet audio interface from Focusrite, take my word on it and ask others you know who are doing podcast or music recording. It delivers crystal clear sound that your audience will appreciate and you can be proud of. There's lots more to see. The Scarlet 2i2, the 4i4, the Studio Bundle, all on the Focusrite website. And here's how I want you to get there. Go to my show website, nhte.net, 
and click on Focusrite's ad for the Vocaster. And once you land over there, navigate through their site to read up on the Scarlet. That ad, by the way, on nhte.net is in the right-hand column if you're on desktop or if you're on mobile, scroll way down to see it just below the social media icons. The Scarlet Audio Interface from Focusrite. Take it from me and my first-hand experience with it and get yours today. Terry, Joe, let's start way back at you originally being from Texas, as you mentioned. Before we talk about Nashville at all, I would think that you must have already been doing a lot in music to ever even get to the point of thinking about Music City. So take us back to that point in time, meaning your years in Texas and what you had been doing music-wise while you lived there. Well, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and so I would sing in church to tracks, lots of Amy Grant. (laughs) And so... I was singing, my mother sings, and my grandmother played piano, So, and my mom's biological father was a musician, so kind of, you know, ran in the family. And then I started, after college, I made a gospel record, a Christian country record is what they, was the genre, and wrote that record, and then moved back to, I was in the Dallas-Fort Worth area at the time, and moved back home to Nacogdoches and started touring just me and my tracks, going to cowboy churches and Hmm. rodeos and just around Texas mostly. And then I did that for a couple of years. And then Jason Sellers, who's a big songwriter in Nashville, I had known him from East Texas, and he had kept in touch and said, if you really want to do country music, you need to move to Nashville. Uh, And he said, I'll help you. And so I packed up the U-Haul and moved to Nashville. And, and, and all just off of the foundation of having gone around singing the tracks. Wow. Wow. Had you done any songwriting to that point? I had written that Christian country record. Okay. Okay. And so with the, the guy that produced it, was Brian Keita and he was a guy out of Texas and he had written some of it with me. A lot of it was just solo rights and it's, you know, not a very good record, <laughs> but my mom's real proud of it. Was, was this teenager years? Was this no, young this adult was after years? College. Okay. Okay. So early twenties. So, so when the move to Nashville took place, was it like ripping off a bandaid, meaning like just all at once, very suddenly, or you mentioned that you knew somebody there. So were you like going back and forth at all between no, Texas and Tennessee? No, to- I had come out, one time for some meetings and then I came out to look for a place to live and then I moved. So, you know, people have asked me that in the past and honestly, Bruce, it's a blur. It's almost like I was in on autopilot or something. Mm. Like I don't remember the drive to Nashville. I barely remember the unloading. I mean, it was really wild. I was also kind of getting out of an abusive relationship. Mm. So I think I just, that was my, that was kind of God's way of pushing me out of the nest to move because I'd always thought it would be fun to move to Nashville, but I didn't have the courage to. And then that, that situation kind of just sent me running and I'm so glad it did. Yeah. It sounds to me like it was, I don't know, is the word therapy, the word I'm looking for, therapeutic, to, to just leave and just get a, a, re- a fresh start somewhere else, a change of scenery and get away from Yeah, what it was just a lot of emotional stuff. It wasn't, I say, abusive relationship. Dysfunctional is probably a better yeah. word. So what about mom who had been your biggest fan and all of a sudden you're going, mom, I'm moving to Nashville. <laughs> 
cry every time I tell that story. Mm. Um, so I asked my dad. It was my dad that, of course, you know, mom felt the same way. But I asked my dad, Dad, do you think that I should move to Nashville? Do you think I can make it? Mm. And he said, the question isn't if you can make it or not. The question is, do you want to try? And he still says that's the hardest thing he's ever said. But mm. He loaded me up and moved me. So they've been so supportive because they paid for two college degrees oh, wow. <laughs> as, as educators themselves. So it's not like they were rolling in it and we didn't have any grants or anything. We all went to college, paid, you know, for it in full, no loans. And then here I am in Nashville, not using either degree. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of had to have some success or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to yeah. go use those degrees. Well, th- thank you for that, for that little bit of humor, because here we, here we are both tearing up. And <laughs> no, sorry. The it won't be, I cry a lot. I won't be the, the audience is going, Aha, time, a, a guest that got Bruce to, to get teary eyed. <laughs> we like her. I introduced you as a singer, songwriter, guitar player. Yeah, but, that's but, funny. But the emphasis for you is clearly on songwriting, meaning not being a touring and recording artist. Was there a deliberate decision at some point that you really wanted to focus mainly on songwriting as opposed to going all out with pursuing a career as an artist, or, or did there it was. just happen there organically? There actually was, and also to back up, I am not a guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody that knows me listening to this had to have chuckled when you said that. Um, but wait a I minute, always... so, so put the story on hold, because... You have to write on the guitar, no? I actually, I don't usually take a guitar to a write. Wow! I, ha- I play guitar at home, and I can play a little bit, but I'm, t- I'm there. You go. I'm not. I got in under the wire on the technicality. Player. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I can play guitar a little bit, but like I always perform with a a, comp- a guitarist. Okay. Um. But so the conscious decision was made. Yes. So I, when I moved to Nashville, I wanted to write songs and be a star, and I. Paired up with Gwen Sebastian, and Gwen was also on The Voice. She is a brilliant artist herself, and she tours with Miranda Lambert singing background. So anytime you see Miranda on TV, the pretty blonde behind her is Gwen, and Gwen's still my best friend. And so Gwen and I formed a duo called Strawberry Blonde, and we joke that you know, my last name's Box, her last name's Sebastian. And we're like, we can't be Sebastian Box. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's like, no, you gotta be. So anyway, she's blonde. I'm a redhead. So we were strawberry blonde and we took some meetings, did some showcases, had some label meetings, and then we were plugging at it. And she really wanted to go on the road and perform. And I really wanted to stay home and write songs. Mm. So we just called it and she went out and toured for, I don't know, three or four or five years before she went on the voice and then ended up in Blake's band, Blake Shelton's band. And then Miranda's band, Miranda got her in the divorce because <laughs> she was singing for both of them. But so there actually was a conscious decision that Gwen wanted to go out on the road and I wanted to stay home and write songs. So that's what we did. And we still write together and, even though you said that back in Texas you were writing those Christian songs, uh-huh. did it ever get to a point where you stopped and said, I can't believe that I just really want to do songwriting when I came here wanting to be an artist and here I was, you know, all about being a singer in, in Texas? I think I still love to perform and I love to sing. But when you get up and, you know, close and personal to the artist's lifestyle, it's rough, man. It's 
for all you listeners out there thinking they're sitting by their pool, checking their mailbox for money, <laughs> that's what songwriters do. <laughs> Those artists are out there grinding. It was your friend and mine, Blue Foley, who said on this podcast, he said, I didn't have the ego to, to go into being a, pursuing an artist career. And he did a really great job on that episode of explaining what he meant by that. Cause it was not meant in a derogatory fashion, but he was saying it like you're, like you're describing, like it takes a whole, it, you have to, you know, you could call it the an ego. I know exactly what blue means. You have to want it so bad that you're willing to rehome your dog and live on a bus and be home you know, 20% of your life. And that just wasn't, you know, to be up at 7 a.m. for interviews or 7 a.m. That's sleeping in. <laughs> be at the radio station at 5 a.m., yeah. you know, and not go on stage till 1030. I'm in bed at 1030, <laughs> you know, unless it's a freak show night. But so that's a cool expression. You have, to really, you have to really, really want it and it be the only thing you want yeah, to be willing to sacrifice your normal life. Yeah. And so the fame part of it is mostly fun, sometimes not, but like I said, it's, it's not something you just do cause you think it might be cool yeah. <laughs> when you get, when you see what they do, I mean, it almost doesn't seem fair that we get to say, I wrote that song mm. and they're the ones that got wow. out there and grinded to wow. get it to the people, you know, God bless you for saying that because I want you and the audience to understand the spirit with which I'm saying this, but so many times there's the view of, boy, nobody recognizes the songwriters who wrote those songs in the first place. And here you are who writes so, so, so many songs saying, Boy, oh boy, I don't know. What you just said is, is really admirable. Well, like for instance, God bless the boy. We spent five, six hours that day and God gave us that song. And I'm not minimizing our role because without us, the song wouldn't exist. But Cody's out there every night yeah. singing that song yeah. for us and taking it to the people. And he's the one living on a bus and missing his kids' Little League games. Mm. and. Wow. To get out there and make our song famous. Wow. So, mm. you know, there's getting chills. Yeah, it's Ooh. so it it's not that we don't deserve the credit. And I appreciate people that recognize that. But again, once our job's done, it's also kind of out of our hands. Yeah. What the song does, even how the song sounds when it's recorded. Yeah. We don't have yeah, any input on that. Good point. We don't even usually get to hear it until everybody else does, you know, <laughs> until you go buy your copy at Walmart, you know, that's what it used to be. <laughs> now at Friday night at midnight, it comes out, you can hear it, but I want to go back and give you credit. That was a cool expression that you used, rehome your dog. Uh, but it's also funny <laughs> it's when you true. said that you, that y'all would have been Sebastian Box because there was a guest on this show recently. Her name is Victoria Vox, and her husband's name is Jack, and sometimes they do a duo act, and they call themselves Jack and the Vox. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, let's talk about the publishing deal that you're in with Jonas Group Entertainment. Share with the audience who that is and how that came to be as well as when. Gosh, back in about 2011, Kevin Jonas Sr., who is the Jonas Brothers' dad, he managed them when they were boys uh, in their 
prime as boys. They're in it again, <laughs> which is awesome. But so he came to Nashville with an as, art, as young men. As, yeah, they're a man band now. Um, he came to Nashville with an artist he was working with, and we have a mutual friend, Roger Hodges, that helped him set up co-writes for this artist. And it was her first time co-writing. She was like 17, uh, Olivia Summerlin. And she's a great artist now. She just goes by Livy. But we met Kevin then, and then I was doing a writer's night then with Bobby Pinson called Sing for Your Supper. And I've hosted writer's nights for 18 years. And so Bobby had asked me to help him with his. And so I invited them to come that night, and they did. And I sat with Kevin and we visited and just kind of hit it off. And then I went to California a few times and wrote with some of his artists out there. Fast forward, they opened a restaurant, Nellie's in Belmont, North Carolina, where Kevin's from. His family is from there. And so we would go do a freak show, which is my songwriter night now, the Music Row Freak Show. We would do one once a month in North Carolina. Okay. And he had wanted to sign he had wanted to develop a publishing company for a while. Mm. And then for health reasons, he ended up postponing that for a few years, but he's always had a management company okay. and managed pop artists, authors, athletes, uh, bachelor nation <laughs> reality <laughs> stars. And so he's always been in management and still is. And, now has formed a publishing company. And so I was the first songwriter that he signed and that was in 2019. So I'm in my third year with Jonas group entertainment and they just opened a Nelly's in MGM Vegas. So we all went out there and Blue Foley went out with me to, to see everybody and celebrate the opening. And so, yeah, so that's how I ended up in the Kevin Jonas senior camp. Okay. Okay. Now, I want to have you explain to the audience about being in a publishing deal, such as what we're talking about that, that you have with Jonas Group Entertainment, meaning, you know, the expectations, the schedule, minimums, maximums, those types of things as it relates to, for example, you know, maybe a quota that you have to meet, limitations that do or don't exist regarding who you co-write with, like all the details so the audience understands what being in a publishing deal looks like because you're in one. And here you are at the Songwriters Festival. So is it, okay, well, I know you're going to a Songwriters Festival, and that's great, but you still have to turn in X amount of songs or make sure you're writing when you're there or this counts as vacation time. So just explain to everybody what all that means, you know, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 type deal, I think, is what people are picturing. Okay. Um, well, I've been in two publishing deals, and both of my deals, my publishers weren't – there is a quota that you – have in your contract of how many songs per se um it's actually they count full copyrights but i won't get into that um but publishers you know like everybody else are they're they want songs that have action that are gonna produce revenue produce a buzz, momentum, how, whatever you want to call it. Which is different from just building inventory. That's right. Then you're just That's right. Because if you, so my publishers have always been not on me about numbers, but just let's get songs cut. You know, let's mm-hmm. get great songs and let's get them cut. And so that's our goal, you know, and that's their goal too. They see the big picture of, you know, it's not quantity, it's quality. Mm-hmm. But all that being said, there are perimeters of a certain amount of copyrights and all that, but um, 
everything you write or most publishing deals work this way. Everything you write under that deal that is under that publishing. So they don't just pick and choose which songs they're going to own when you write for them. Everything you write, they own whatever the contracts. But if you do a, if you do a write here at the festival with somebody, is that part well? They of- own my portion. They we. I'm talking about just my. Like if I go and write a song with you, you have fifty percent. I have fifty percent, and then of the publishing, and then whatever our agreement is, they own half of my half. Okay. Or like okay. That, or okay. all my half, or okay. whatever. Your, however your deal reads. And are you going to tell me that it varies from one publishing company to the next as it relates to? You know, are you expected to be in the Jonas Group Entertainment office in Nashville writing songs? No, or? And, and hardly any publishing deals are like that. They know the writers a lot of times write at their house. They write at the other, the co-writer's office. We, our office is in Charlotte, North uh-huh. Carolina. And then right now they're basing out of Vegas because they just mm. opened the venue out there. So, you know, we, uh, Phil, Phil Garini is our Nashville guy. And he's our CEO, and he's in Nashville a lot. But we don't have a brick and mortar in Nashville yet. We're planning that's in the works. But so no, we're not expected. But most companies aren't like that. They expect you to write at a certain time. Either, Um, gosh, my buddies Russell Sutton and Drew Green, they'll start at midnight Mm. (laughs) and write through the night, which isn't my hours, but (laughs) that's when some people are creative. So. and then they typically pay you a draw in advance, so it's a it's a salary, if you will, but it's recoupable. Yeah. So when you start making money, then they pay. It's themselves interesting back. when you said before about how people will use the expression with you selling songs because it never occurred to me. It's one of those things where when you're in it, you don't know what people don't know, and those of us in the music industry know what it means to get a cut. Right. And only last night sitting and watching around here at the Songwriters Festival, did one of the writers on stage explain to the audience what it means to have a cut. And I thought, well, I guess I didn't realize that the average listening audience doesn't know what a cut is. So just for those people out there who are listening that are just fans of this show or fans of music in general, explain what that term means. Because like I said, you you and I know what it is. Right. You you go in and you write every day. And when you finish the song, you usually just play it and sing it into your iPhone. And then at some point you present it to your publisher or an artist or a producer as sometimes it's just that recording you did on the spot. We do what we call demos where a demonstration vocal is what that's short for. And we go in and shine it up. Sometimes it's a full band, sounds like a record. Sometimes it's just a guitar and a clean vocal, but you get it to the artist, and then there's so many steps you get it to the artist, and then the artist loves it or the producer loves it or whoever and that camp the eric church camp or the ashley mcbride camp decide they're going to put it on the record and when so when an artist records your song you got a cut on that artist and most of my cuts have been songs i wrote with the artist and that's kind of the nature of the business right now is the artists are wanting to write their own records and say what they want to say and because it's hard to find a song you want to sing every single night Mm. that didn't come from your story okay um it happens and i think the great really greats like the george straits and 
Blake Shelton and well, all of them. You can find outside songs. Miranda Lambert, even Ashley McBride, they'll cut an outside song if it's something. And also, outside song means they did not write it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm using terminology again that may not be <laughs> everyday language, but the artists know a great song is a great song. Um, so anyway, getting a cut on a record means they recorded your song. Yep, yep, perfect, perfect. I'm joined today on location in Alabama at the second Lake Martin Songwriters Festival by singer, songwriter, guitar player, <laughs> Terry Joe Box. Find her on social media on both guitar Facebook banger. and Instagram. <laughs> on the show page for this episode at nhte.net, I will put a link to her Instagram account so you can follow her on there. Although I can just tell you right now that her username on there is just at Terry Joe Box. Very simple. Be sure to let her know that you heard her on Now Hear This Entertainment. In the second half of this episode, we're going to be talking about a longstanding event that she has been hosting in Nashville, which will be something that you'll want to attend if you are in or around Nashville or if you'll be traveling there. And for those of you listening in Denmark, we will be discussing the event that she'll be performing at in September and how you can attend that. Meanwhile, an invitation from me to sign up for the weekly email newsletter. I know you're getting bombarded with a lot of nonsense in your inbox which is why I only send out once a week, really. That's it. Just Wednesday morning and an email that gives you information about the latest podcast episode as well as other goings-on, including events that I'm at, just like being here in Alabama at the Songwriters Festival, so that you can see where I am out on the road because I'm always excited to the the idea of meeting up with people who listen to this podcast. Just go to nhte.net and pop in your email address in the sign-up box to start receiving that. I really try my best to give exclusives in there as a thank you to people who opt to receive that email from me each Wednesday. Terry Joe, in there I was mentioning the longstanding event that you've been hosting and booking back up in Nashville, and I had alluded to it in the intro. Share with the audience all about that, meaning what it is, where it is, when it takes place, and for that matter, when you started doing the Music Row Free Show. Yeah, so when I first started doing writer's nights there was an irish pub on the corner of demumbrian right on the roundabout if you've been to nashville you know the naked people (laughs) statues the muse i started a a guy opened that and we met we had a mutual friend and he said hey why would you want to start a girls writer's night and so i did i started mcginnis girls night and it was a great way for me to meet people and have something to offer them instead of just because it, it, you know, it Nashville's competitive. It's kind and everybody's warm and friendly and open. But you're still competing for slots. On, there's only so many slots on record, so many slots at the label. So it gave me something to give people and them to give me back. And it just kind of built a rapport with r- other writers outside of you know just getting in a room and writing a song. So I I appreciated that opportunity and. So I started this girls writers night and it ended up being the second longest running writers night mm. behind the bluebird. Wow. To stay at one venue for cuz we were there 9 years mm. at the same venue. So at the time that was there may somebody may have passed us now. I don't know how long whiskey jam's been going but anyway, we so I started doing writers nights there and then like I said Bobby Pinson another hit writer buddy of ours asked me to help him with his so we did that sing for your supper and I also a friend of mine had a venue in Hermitage Tennessee which is east of Nashville like 20 minutes past the airport and 
So I started a writer's night out at the Rusty Nail. And at one point, I was doing Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday writer's nights. Mm. I don't think I've ever worked so hard in my <laughs> life. And writing songs every day. And um, But the, the all three of those went away. And the venue that we were doing Sing for Your Supper was at, that we did that at the Blue Bar. The owner, Chuck Rota, said, if you want to, because when Bobby cl- closed his show, he asked me if I wanted to continue a show. And I went, I think about six months later, I went and said, yeah, I want to. So we started up a lot of the same writers that we had been doing out at the Rusty Nail was the name of the bar in Hermitage. And we kind of had a little family. Well, we, we didn't kind of, we did. We had a, a group of songwriters that played there every week. And it's also fun to think about. It was Ashley McBride and mm. Hunter Phelps, who's having lots of hits and Nick Columbia and blue Foley and Chris Harris, who's in Ashley's band. And I mean, I could just go on and on with Scott Sean white and all that. And I know I'm forgetting people, so Jeremy cool. Drinkwine, McCollin, but it was this little group of people and Randall clay. And so we moved, we just basically moved that to midtown to the blue bar. And I was sitting, I've always loved the carnival vintage look. And we would say, we would call people freaks if they were really, really you know, he's a freak of nature in a, that was a compliment. And so we just decided to call it the Midtown Freak Show, mm-hmm. Midtown Freak Show. And then my publisher now, he was not my publisher at the time, but Kevin said, you should call it Music Row Freak Show because mm. A, Midtown could be any city. Yeah. And it rhymes. And yeah. so not too far into it, we changed to Music Row Freak Show. And that was 2000. 14 i think so that's how long we've been doing that and we were at the blue bar and then we went to when that closed we went to winners for a year and now we're at the local and that's owned by a songwriter jeff reed and so it's about 16 writers every wednesday and friday we do wednesdays and fridays friday started during the pandemic and we just kept doing it so okay so let's let's set the record straight now on that because you talked before about people who will try to give you unsolicited lyrics or, or whatever. If there's a songwriter who's listening to this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment and they're hearing you say everything that you just did about the Music Grove Freak Show, but they live in, I don't know, let's say New Orleans, and they're thinking, hey, I'm a songwriter. I'd love to go to Nashville and play in that. Is it, sure, here's how they can contact me? Or is it a case of, mm, sorry, this is just for people I know, or this is just for songwriters who live in Nashville? Like, how do situations like that work? That's a great question. First of all, I would, I would first say go to the local's Facebook page, the local Nashville, and watch the show. It's live. It's always Facebook Live every Wednesday and Friday. And if you watch a couple of shows and you still think you want to come play because <laughs> the talent is unbelievable. The talent is so good. And, you know, Nashville's got the best of the best here. And these are the people you haven't heard of. So I always say the freak show is the greatest show you've never heard. Mm-hmm. But if you still think that you can, you know, you've, you've, you've got the goods, you can email me. At music row freak show at gmail.com. Okay. okay. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, music row freak show. Nice. But it's that it's just the 
name of the show at Gmail. Okay. And you can submit songs. And yeah, we have lot we have lots of people that play when they're in town that don't live in Nashville. And okay. it's not always all country. It's primarily country because uh, we're Nashville, okay. but it's not all country. Uh, and it's twice a week. We'll be having a show tonight, and Sweet Becca Ray, a, fan, a great writer in town, is hosting for me. But yeah, so it's 16 writers ish, 12 to 16 every Wednesday and Friday. And the round that a writer will sit in will be for an hour? I'm no, guessing? it's usually three songs. Oh, three sometimes songs? Sometimes four. Oh, okay. But, okay. So they'll get three songs. And sometimes it's a round of two, a round of three, sometimes four, just kind of depending on who's playing and who wants to play together and who needs to go at eight and who needs to go at 9.15. But see, these are important clarifications because those of you in the audience who are listening to this and you're going, I'm going to give that a shot. I'm going to watch the live stream and I know I'm going to be good enough and I'm going to go there. This is where you have to ask yourself, how important is it to you to travel all the way to Nashville to potentially only play three songs and that's it. So you have to obviously weigh so many factors, but listen to everything that Terry Joe is saying. But here's another really important facet out of all this. I talk so, so much on this show and in my weekly blog that I publish each Monday on the website about the power of connections, how important it is, how valuable it is to network, to build relationships with people, to stay connected with them. And Terry Joe, you as much as anyone can talk about the great power in that since you have such a terrific opportunity week in and week out through the Music Row Freak Show to meet so, so many people. Talk about that as well as the front row seat that I'm sure you get to the proverbial, you never know who might be in the audience, especially in Nashville. Oh, sure. Right. Um, Well, let me back up to the beginning of what you were saying, because me and the owner of the local, Jeff Reed, he's been in town forever. He used to own a publishing company. And like I said, he's a songwriter. And he was saying, you know, these kids we're getting old these kids that moved to town because of social media and the internet and the live shows they kind of don't they haven't experienced as much the paying your dues Mm. and like how do i get on the show well you know I got on shows like that by going and going to the shows and learning and studying the writers and a lot. Of, that's how a lot of people yeah. do Who it. Who are and you? It's what have like, you done? Yeah, and it's and it's like some of them just miss the whole. I don't. It's not a negative thing. It's just it's it's the world we live in. Everything is immediate. Let's you know. It's like saying I want to play for the Tennessee Titans because I'm a good football player. You didn't go through OTAs. You didn't go through training camp. Right. You didn't play yeah. preseason games. And but you have. But that doesn't mean I don't let them play of course. or submit because you have your people that roll into town ready. Mm-hmm. They're few and far between. But you never know if that's going to be the kid that was ready. So that's why we open you can, anybody can submit music. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't there's not a screening for who can submit music. There's definitely a screening for who gets to get that's on right. stage. Um and then also part of your question the opportunity that it provides. I mean, I can personally say I got my first publishing deal from I was playing my own show. And I saw a guy sitting there that was sitting by himself and I didn't know him. And I said, come sit with us. And it turned out he was opening a publishing company and he mm. liked my music. And I ended up writing for Ray Hamilton and Murph Music Group for seven years. So cool. So I got my first publishing deal 
through that show. I met Ashley McBride through that show, who's an artist that records, um, has recorded my songs and also one of my dearest friends. But what I'm saying is that I can almost pinpoint my success as a songwriter back to being at those shows or hosting them or meeting people at these songwriter nights. So, you know, it's just Scott Sean Watt said the other day, he said, I'm just, I'm just going to keep showing up, you know, yeah. and that's what you got to do. You just got to keep showing up. And then the, cause the, you know, must be present to win. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and for all intents and purposes, allow me audience, allow me, you know, the, the pandemic is, is pretty much over. I know COVID's come back around and whatever, you know, be responsible, blah, blah, blah. The point I'm making here is I, I preach this all the time. You know, if you just stay home all the time, and you're too nervous to bring your songs out or you're an introvert or whatever, you know, you have to look in the mirror when you wonder why am I not getting the opportunities that all these people around me are getting? And, and like you just said, you know, you need to be present to win. You have to be seen. Even even if you baby step it and you say, well, I'm just going to go and I'm going to watch. Right. I'm not even going to introduce myself to Terry Joe Box. I'm just going to watch everybody. Well, great. That's a step in the right direction. But you can't just stay home and write songs and write songs and write songs and never leave your house or your apartment or wherever. That's right. That's the case 99% of the time. And I am amazed at the number of people that I meet. I, I say meet in quotes because when I finally meet them, they say, I've been coming to the freak show for six months or two years wow. and doing exactly that. And I'm so busy running around and keeping, you know, herding cats and <laughs> finding my phone that I lay down <laughs> 10 times a show that I may not. I may know their face or, or not even, yeah. they don't even look familiar. And I'm like, wow, you've been coming to the show. Yeah. I just wasn't ready to say that I was a songwriter or wanted, I'm not. And I love the people that say I'm a songwriter, but I'm not ready. Mm. And I love that they know that. And I love there is, I'm a very much an energy person and there are, you can smell entitlement before the first word comes out of their mouths and you can feel the gratitude mm. when they're, when they are a Cameron Havens or a little skinny or a Becca Ray that they're so grateful to be there and they appreciate the opportunity and they deserve to be there, yeah. but they don't feel like they're entitled to that's be there. Awesome. And that's awesome. so those are the, that kind of also for anybody thinking about doing this, you know, Somebody told me when I first moved to town, it was Jason Sellers. He said, you're talented. When you get in a room, you'll be able to write a song and prove yourself. But he said, the most important thing you can do is be likable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be likable and the opportunities will come. And then you can, you know, then show your talent. Yeah. But yeah. be likable. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for just flat out being a good person, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, let's move on to the international event that I had mentioned, which is the Nashville Nights series that you not only will be performing in next month in Denmark, but I believe you did last September, too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, we let's hear, out, hear all about that. We went out in May and toured Denmark to promote the festival last last May. And then... 2021. 21. That's right. Mm-hmm. I went. They went again this year. I went May of 21 and then promoted it. And we got to see Denmark. And then in September, we went out and... and um, Odense is the way it's spelled. They say Unsa. Um, but that's where the festival is. So we were there in September, last September for the festival, and we did two freak shows, and we're doing two 
this year. And a, a lot of the artists that are here at this Lake Martin Festival are playing the freak uh. show in Denmark. And it's just such a beautiful country. And the fans are so different and yet so respectful. They don't know country music. They're, the, Denmark is all rock and roll, which is the whole reason that they developed this festival was to bring country music to their country. And so the audience is very quiet and respectful and they don't they don't even really want to approach you after the show like you've set up a merch table and they kind of are a little timid to walk up and talk they're just so respectful and they do this thing and they did it in every city we were in that when you're done with a song or with the show they clap they start clapping but they get in sync with each other and it's just like a boom Boom, boom, boom. And I mean, there is something in that that just stirs your soul, you know. I so, bet the first time you heard that, you're like, what's happening? Yeah, what, what are they doing? And then I realized what they do that about? everywhere here. What is this <laughs> clapping thing they do? But they're, so, and you know, they don't, I'm amazed that, first of all, we're singing the, to them in a second language. Mm. We're talking about NASCAR and bonfires or, or Texas and or all kinds of country flag. lingo that they don't yeah, know what it, yeah. they don't, you know, they don't know what, uh, I, I can't even think of, I'm a songwriter. I can't think of any lines <laughs> right now, but we were laughing just thinking about how, you know, half of our lyric, they probably don't even know what we're talking about, mm. you know, cause it's uh, cause country's so rural, but yet they're still soaking it in. Oh yeah. They love it. And you think they're bored, mm. but they're not, they're just very Attentive. Quiet and yeah, attentive. It's like every show's the bluebird. <laughs> wow. Wow. So being back here again this year, you are also two for two now with performing at the Lake Martin Songwriters Festival. Can you talk a little bit about being back here this year, some of the folks that you get to perform alongside of by taking part in this and, and just this area and, and, and this event? Oh yeah. I first came to this where we are right now for a writer's retreat at the Pace Place. And then and this the lake is just beautiful. And then I was here for the festival last year, and they did the Chad Wilson did a full band show. They closed off the Alexander City little Main Street, and he had me get up and sing some songs with the full band. And so the people here are just wonderful. I met some people I still talk to and see down in the Key West Songwriter Festival, the Johnsons, and so. Yeah, it's a beautiful area, and the people are so kind. And I'm playing with Trick Savage, who's a great songwriter. He'll be here for the whole festival, and he's had cuts on Ashley McBride and Eric Church and Patty Loveless as well. And then we are playing with Marla Cannon, who I'm just getting to know. I've Obviously, I knew her name. She wrote one of my favorite songs of all time, The Fool. But... So we'll be playing with her, so that'll be fun. I'm excited about playing awesome. around with Marla. Awesome. And then we were supposed to play with Blue, but Blue Foley is not here. He's having vocal trouble. Oh, yikes. So he had to stay home and voice rest. Yikes. Well, we're going to close today with a song that Terry Joe wrote, one by Ashley McBride called America Scandal. Terry Joe, before I let you go and I play that track, share with the audience all about this one, if you would, please. Oh, American Scandal. Well, we our best friend, me... 
and Ashley McBride and Blue, we had a best friend, Randall Clay, who passed away in October of 2018. And we wrote this song with him, me and Ashley. And that day, Ashley came in and said, they want me to write a love song, and I hate love songs. And she said, I've always wanted to write a song about Marilyn Monroe and James Dean. And Randall goes, well, you know, the real scandal was between Kennedy and Monroe. And so... We just started writing this song and ended up calling it American Scandal, and which isn't the hook. The hook is Kennedy and Monroe, but the song's American Scandal. And Ashley put it on her record, Girl Going Nowhere, that was nominated for a Grammy. And she won an Emmy for it, singing it. I believe it was on the ABC morning show, but it was one of the morning shows. She got an Emmy for it, and it was on out on XM. It was a single on XM for a minute. And... It just seems to be a crowd favorite, even when she she still has it in her live show, and so it's been it's been good to us that song. And it's so cool that you can take something from '60s pop culture and today, right. in whatever this decade is considered, be writing about something that mm-hmm. took place that long ago and have it be so successful. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's special to us too because we wrote it with Randall, and he's he's since passed. And which a lot of songs are because we wrote so many songs with him, but I know he's proud of what the song's done too. No doubt, no doubt. Terry Joe, God bless you. It was wonderful thank to you, have you too. on the show. I really enjoyed Thanks, it, and Bruce. thank you for making time to do this. Sure, thank you. With that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer songwriter Terry Joe Box. <laughs> <laughs> Again, do find her on social media, specifically Facebook and Instagram. As I said before, I will put a link on the show page for this episode at nhte.net to Terry Joe's Instagram account, so you can follow her on there. As I said, it is at Terry Joe Box, and you'll want to keep up with her for news and events such as the Music Row Freak Show, Nashville Nights International Songwriters Festival that you heard us talking about, to name just two. Do let Terry Joe know that you heard her on Now Hear This Entertainment, and you heard her mention that there are social media accounts for the Music Row Freak Show, so check out those as well. One more reminder about signing up for the weekly e-newsletter that I send out. Simply go to my show website, nhte.net, and pop in your email address in the sign-up box there, and then look for me in your inbox every Wednesday, giving you info about the latest podcast episode as well as other goings-on, as well as the occasional exclusive. It's a great way to complement what you hear on the show each week. If you're not already receiving that, go do that now at nhte.net. That's going to do it for episode 445. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song written by Terry Joe Box. This is the one by Ashley McBride that she just talked about. It's called American Scandal. Checking my lipstick And you're aviators Like a couple of Hit paraders, the cherry glow of your cigarette. Don't tell me the world couldn't handle a good old fashioned American scandal.
lights are flashing Main Street paparazzi You got me lining up To watch you want me Let's one up the rumors Hold me baby, hold me Like you ain't mine to hold Ooh, kiss me baby, kiss me Like you don't care, who knows Oh, love me baby, love me Like Kennedy and the road Don't tell me the world couldn't handle A good old-fashioned American scandal Hold me, baby, hold me Like you and Good old-fashioned American skin